Welcome to the Smart Money. In fact, welcome to episode four of the Smart Money, the EQI podcast. I'm delighted to say that today we are joined by Paul Thomas. Hello, Paul. Hello. Um, Paul is a financial journalist. Now, I've got to get this right. I have done my little bit of research into your background. You've written for Money Mail. Is that right? Uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And you're now involved with Mostly Money, one of my new favorites. <laughs> that's very kind of you. Um, but you're award winning. I think we need to get that out there. <laughs> yeah, just in case your mum tunes in. You are an award winning journalist. I love that. And I actually dug into uh, one of the awards um, that you were lucky to receive, where the judge um, praised you for your uh, in-depth analysis. Thirst for a story, and I don't know if you remember this, one judge described you as truly a dog with a bone. Well, what can I say? My mum must have sent you that, uh, <laughs> that list of, uh, of accolades. <laughs> I want to talk about dog with a bone. I mean, not everybody is attracted to financial journalism. What is it about money, people and money, that made you go, yeah, uh, this is for me? It's, um, well, I suppose like anybody, but my... I, I never actually set out to become a financial journalist. I, I knew I wanted to be a journalist of some sorts. Um, so, so I did my training. I went away and I sent a barrage of applications, you know, right, left and centre, everything from police quarterly to, um, uh, you know, tunneling monthly, whatever it may be. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and, and I was lucky enough to get a, a response, the only response, actually, from, uh, from a title called uh, Money Marketing, which is still going, actually. And um, and yeah, it just went from there. And I thought maybe I'll do six months, you know, maybe I get a bit bored, but I get a bit of experience at, at the same time. And it just sort of went from there. And then I got a little bit hooked. And then, you know, I'd pick up the money sections before I'd pick up the sports sections and it snowballed from there. And here I am a lot of years later. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, feeling uh, uh, proud and glad and uh, humble to be on this podcast. Well, what can I, say? <laughs> I mean, I suppose the, what the important thing for me, when you, it's not really about the money. What we found that with more people that we've talked to is that money represents financial independence. It represents your ability to do what you want to do with your life. So I guess that's why, I mean, certainly when I've looked at investment now, I can see that it gives people an element of control over their lives. They go, right, this is my goal. So you start to work towards that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that the the main thing is, is that money touches everybody's lives, you know. Um, if you're a political journalist, they're probably a very, very small subsection of society that actually really cares what you write about in reality. Um, and whereas, you know, we all use money, we all want more of it, we all want to save it, we all don't want to lose it. And I think that's where it becomes uh, um, something that everybody in, in society needs to know a little bit more about. And unfortunately, we don't really have, um, you, know, or, you know, for very good reasons, you know, maybe it's financial education, school or whatever. Uh, but, you know, we just probably don't understand it as much as we should do. I'm probably a little bit scared of it when we shouldn't be as well. Uh, that's absolutely. Now, I've come off recently, sort of easing of social lockdown, got together in a garden with strategically placed deck chairs. <laughs> so it's a group of people that I know very well, but very oddly, one of their daughters started to talk about, oh, I'm thinking about trying to save for a house and I don't know how. And so the conversation turned and I was really quite surprised, even though these are a lot of graduate parents, people who work in the professional services, the number of myths that were coming up to the point where I thought, is there a camera? Because I'm now going to be one of those really annoying people <laughs> who never get invited to the garden again. Actually, I think you'll find. But I was really surprised how many uh, myths were in play about, particularly when it comes to investment, which yeah. is what made me think about this podcast, which is what made me drag you in today <laughs> to help me with these. So um, I, I sat down, I then asked quite a few people, right, what is it that you think about? What puts you up about investment? Or what do you think about investment? And, and people came back to me with their thoughts. And there were some real humdingers in here. So 
Here's, um, I'm going to start with an easy one. I'm going to start with a softball for you. Excellent. So uh, do you need a lot of money? That was one of the things that people said. Oh, you've got to be rich to invest. So do you, th- I mean, what, what's your sort of view of people who yeah. come invest? I mean, I think, I think that's, that's the biggest one, isn't it? That's the one you hear time and time again. And, and the problem with these myths is that they, they keep getting perpetuated. And before you know it, uh, you know, they become fact. Well, obviously we all know, or, or sorry, um, we should know that, you know, these things aren't facts. You know, and, and it's, it's absolutely untrue. You know, I, I would say, so investing is for anybody who uh, wants reasonable, uh, reasonable shot, decent returns, uh, but with a long-term focus. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, some people are uncomfortable with that. Some people like the security of, of, um, of a building society or, or a bank savings account. They get their interest, a very low level of interest at the moment. Um, and that's fine, but um, the, I don't think there should be. We should think for any any reason at all that you know people should be excluded from investing. It's open to everybody, and then it's a it's a choice about whether or not you actually decide to. Yeah. Now you mentioned about the education, and that's so, and I was actually I'm glad to see that the government has backed Money Advice Service. I think it's called. Um, yeah. Um, which yeah. it is a really useful resource if you if you ever come across a term you're not familiar with. It's very impartial advice. So I did have a dip in there thinking because it's i would say pretty risk averse uh you know they're not asking to be able to take positions on oil yeah. over the next 15 years but uh one thing that they did warn savers about in that section is inflation the impact that inflation can have um because it does erode the value of your savings so even though you think your savings is there it's safe and of course it is yeah the problem is inflation will eat away at the value so I'm going to do one of the... Actually, I said I was going to be kind to you. I'm not going to be completely kind. I'm going to do one of those horrible things they do to politicians now. Pint of milk. How much is a pint of milk, Paul? Can you tell us? <laughs> wow, what a start. Uh, so uh, how much would a pint of milk be? Uh, I'm taking a guess here, and I'm going to say 60p. Do you know what? You'll be okay. It's 43p. 43. Now, if, if this is wrong, I'm going to look like an idiot. This is what I Googled. It said 43 pence. But you do realise I'm going to be checking these figures afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's, right, that's right. So we got that award winning. Um, but in 1970, milk, do you want to have a guess what milk was then? Oh, okay. Right. I'm not even sure if you were born then. So I, um, uh, no, I, was, I came along 12 years later, but uh, I'm going to go with 5p. Oh my God, you nailed that. Did it really? <laughs> <laughs> it was five pence. So another way that they uh, they explained it on the money advice service um, was that in 1970, a pound would buy you 10 loaves. Now yeah. it only buys one. Yeah. So it gives you an yeah. idea, even though inflation, they say at 1%, seems low, it's 1%. Over time, it really does have an yeah. impact on what you have. So that is another reason why they suggest that people should look at investment, because the hope is, and again, nothing is written, the hope is is that it will outpace inflation. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is one of the main problems um, that, that we have at the moment. And, and this stretches all the way back to the last financial crisis. This, is, this goes back to 2007, 2008. Um, before then, you know, you get building, to, uh, building and bank society savings accounts that would offer you 4 or 5%, which you know, is a you know, very good interest rate. I mean, unfortunately, you're just not going to get that anymore. And um, and with inflation running at just over one percent, and most building society bank uh, savings accounts probably a little bit under that, you're forever losing money. And and the the difficult the reason people um, sometimes struggle to get their head around inflation 
is that it's it's there, it's, invis- it's, it's invisible. You don't know it's there. You don't realize that the price of milk is creeping up every year until 10 years later, somebody says, oh, did you know that used to cost 30p? And when, when was the last time anyone said that to you? Um, so, so then over time, uh, you just think, well, I've, I've got a thousand pound in an account. I've still got a thousand pound. Fantastic. I haven't lost any money. You haven't made any money either. Um, but you don't realize actually that that a thousand pound, like you said, just doesn't go as far as it used to. Exactly. So even if you could start with small amounts, so you don't need to invest with a you don't need to start off with a hundred thousand pounds you can I think when I started I think I started putting away 25 pound a month back in the day and I think no you know even if you start with 50 pound a month that's you investing in your future I guess you don't need masses of money yeah absolutely and do you know what in in the last maybe five to ten years uh there are so many options out there for people now uh, you know, you can open up a uh, uh, stocks and shares ISA, which you know the the account that most people use to uh, to, to invest in the stock market. Um, you, you can open it with a pound. Uh, there are so many different options out there, that, uh, and I, I've noticed this in the last ten years. Um, the resources, the educational resources out there to help you make those choices, uh, you know, how to invest, where to invest, what to invest in, what time to invest, you know, all, all of these things, all of these resources are out there. Um, and, you know, if you do your homework, then, you know, you can invest very successfully. And um, and I think that is the major difference now, you know, if you do want to invest, all the tools are there for you. Um, and then it's just down to personal choice then. Very good. Okay, so you can have, you can start investing with a modest sum, because the truth is, as well, once you set up that direct debit, you don't really notice it. Yeah. That's the key. That's key. <laughs> Payday. Yeah. Yeah. Do it then. <laughs> yeah. don't, wait don't, don't wait till the end of the month, which unfortunately was what I did for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> send, it, send it way early. Put it into the stocks and shares. I, uh, I think Nationwide run a very success, uh, very good campaign on this, you know, so uh, Payday Save Day or something along those lines. Um, and, and that's key. And it, like you said, little often, you know, start off with £10 a month, um, you know, just get into the habit. Set up that direct debit and, you know, next time um, if you get a pay rise or you get a bonus, maybe put a little bit more. So in, in the second year, say 15 or £20 a month and, you know, hopefully as, as uh, your earnings increase, you can put more and more aside. And before you know it, you're five years, ten years down the line and, you know, chances are you've got a sizable pot you know, if, um, if everything goes your way. Particularly for younger people, just thinking back to that Dexter conversation for something um, like the lifetime ISA, yeah, it's not just that you can put away, say, £100 a month. I'm, I'm doing £100 because it's easy for me to do the math. <laughs> <laughs> then the government will add £25 because yeah. there is a 25% bonus. So there, there are products like that aimed at younger people now to start that good habit of putting money aside. Definitely. And, and you know, if you don't know where to start, then that is probably the best place. If, if you don't... If you don't need that money uh, immediately and, you know, you're just thinking, look, I want to save for my future, whether or not it's um, a wedding in 10 years time, a house in 10 years time, or, or, you know, actually think I need I want something, a little pot of money alongside my pension uh, that I want to to dip into and enjoy in retirement. Then, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're under 40, then probably the lifetime investment, uh, the lifetime ISA, sorry, is probably a, not a bad starting place to be on so like you said you get free free government money essentially which you know, it's not very often the government gives you free cash so that's right as a journalist you would know yeah. that yeah i trust you in that instance. been trying to find ways to get it off them for years so uh. <laughs> <laughs> so next one so i think we've put that one to bed the next one um someone said to me oh i would like to invest but the problem is i don't have the time to watch the computer all day long to see what the markets are doing 
Yeah. So I wonder if you could just have a, your thoughts on that. Yeah, and I think so the, maybe Hollywood has uh, perpetuated this idea that you've got to be glued to a Reuters terminal with lots of flashing lights and buttons everywhere. Um, but you know, in reality, I mean, that's probably not the wisest thing to do anyway. Um, and it's not, it's not for me to sit here and tell people how often they should check their portfolio. But um, if you, it, the, the, the idea behind investing is that you pick something that could work for the long term. You're not looking at uh, um, trading. Trading is something slightly different. Trading is, um, you know, people who, who like to profit from small movements in markets, whether it be currencies or uh, shares or bonds or whatever it may be. They're looking, in, in a fraction of a second, looking to make cash. 99.9% .9 of us, including me, uh, don't do that. Um, I, I pick something that I think of work and become profitable over the long term, and I stick with it. There'll be ups, there'll be downs. Um, uh, with some of my uh, investments, there'd be more downs than ups. But I know over <laughs> over 25, 30 years, you know, I I I I back the investments to come good. So um, yeah, I mean, if if you by all means, if you've got a little pot of money that you have a little uh, play around with in the investments and and keep that away from your um, financial security pot, should we call it, then by all means, check them every day as a little bit of a hobby. But um, uh, yeah, I'd I'd say don't get wrapped up in that and um, just let them do their thing. There's a reason why you backed them in the first place. Now that's, that, I actually set myself a test saying, right, if I did actually do that, I'd probably drive myself crazy actually yeah. watching because it, it does look quite, those th those arrows go up and down. Up they and down. do, they do. Um, so I thought, think of something that you love, not surprisingly, it's food related, as it's me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, Greg's, okay, love myself a vegan sausage roll. Oh, who doesn't, who doesn't? Um, I know that upsets Piers Morgan, <laughs> but we'll just put that aside um, for now. Um, so I actually just tracked them over one day and I thought, yes, I can see how this would cause anxiety because it went from uh, £15.40 to £14.83 so that you can kind of see that would create some sort of nervousness. I'm losing money. I'm losing money yeah. would be the sense. But then I looked at it over a year and I could see that that again, the gaps were quite wide. It went from the low was £13, the high was 24 So again, that's sort of quite roomy. Five years, smaller then, between £12 and £15. But I thought this was the important one. Over 10 years, if you'd bought Greg's shares, and this is not a recommendation. Again, please, this is not a recommendation. <laughs> this is an observation. Uh, 10 years ago, those shares were £4. So now they average around £15. So I think that comes back to something that you were saying, which is like, if you believe um, in this particular company or sector or fund, and you're happy to think about the long term, not the daily fluctuations, then over time, if the company is well run, you tend to see that it increases in value. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the key the key to this is invest in what you know, invest in what you love. You know, uh, I, I, I heard a great story a few years ago of a, of a gentleman who used to work on TFL, I think. And um, he never invested before, but he was noticing, um, you know, people carrying around Nike bags. So he thought, well, hang on, maybe Nike are worth investing in. And he'd do this with everything. You know, if th there was a trend or something that he liked in particular, he'd do a bit of research. He thought, okay, that was his first step. Is it popular? Do I like it? Then he would do uh, some research. Is this a well-run company? If it is, fantastic. That's ticked off another box. Um, if it isn't, okay, I want to invest with it. And, and, and it's that 
getting involved in the whole process, um, yeah, deciding what you like, deciding what's popular, um, and then sticking with those. You know, don't don't change your mind every two minutes, essentially, because then uh, you may miss out on uh, on a on a bit of a rally, and they become really really profitable. And fortunately, you sold out because there was a small dip in the shares. So, so uh, that absolutely steer away from getting yourself jacked on caffeine and watching yeah. the screen all day. <laughs> don't do that. Don't Decaf. try and do that. Decaf. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So no, you can just invest, set aside and leave. You don't have to look at those markets daily. Yes. Okay. That's very good. Markets are too volatile. Excuse me. It's like gambling. I heard uh, that. It did make me think, okay, yeah, because let's not pretend that risk isn't a factor here. We see those disclaimers all the time for a reason, because of course it can go down as well as up. But then I thought, unlike gambling, you're actually owning a piece of a company when you yeah. own stocks and shares or a piece of a fund. So in, in, in some ways, it's not like literally me going to go invest on Chester, not, not invest, gamble on Chester races. <laughs> um, it is slightly different, isn't it? So when it came to volatility, absolutely the markets have been volatile over time. Um, and of course, we're going through that at the moment. But the study of the market since 1900 say in reality, even when there has been a wobble, which is more than a 10% loss, they tend to take about two years on average to recover that value. So again, we're talking about those longer windows. So I don't know if you have anything to add to me there on thoughts. If someone said, look, Paul, I'm, I'm, I think it's great to invest, but I can't because it's too much like gambling. What would you say to me? Yeah, and, and again, this this is another one that comes up uh, time and time again. Um, so, so, so when it comes to gambling, gambling is what I call it. It's a zero-sum game. And by that, I mean, you know, there's one winner. There's you or the bookies, and most of the time it's the bookies or the casino. Um, and you know, when you step into a casino, the odds are stacked against you. They don't they don't make those games fair to play because they want uh, to walk away with heavier pockets than you do. Um, the thing about investing is that everyone has a level playing field. Um, there is opportunity in the market to make money by investing in good companies if you're willing to do the the homework. If you're willing to research the companies, uh, find out whether or not you know they they tie in with your beliefs, your values. You know this this is, uh, in, and in fact, the, the the great thing about investing is it's not just about making money. You know, it's actually about making difference in society as well. If you don't back, if if you have um, uh, a sort of unethical company and investors decide to not back them for that reason, that company probably won't last very long. Um, so you get a sort of active participatory vote in society, in a capitalist society. Um, you know, you can instigate environmental change. There are all these things you can do. It's, it's having a vote, it's having a voice on how you would like society to be. Um, if that sounds a little bit wishy-washy, but uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, I mean, th- there's no denying the fact that there is there is risk involved. Um, you know, we've seen that the, the markets have gone up and down uh, uh, in the last sort of few months since coronavirus really sort of uh, struck Europe um, and, and America. Um, but like you said, over the long term, countless studies have shown that, you know, if you invest, invest at one point and have a, a long enough time horizon, whether it be 20, 25, 30 years, there's a very, very good chance that you will end up with more money than when you started. And not only that, but more money than if you put uh, your money into a very safe, uh, very steady um, sort of bank or savings account. Mm. Now, that is important. Now, what I would say is that um, I did have a cursory look at what people have been up to during the lockdown. And unfortunately, this walks us straight into this other myth, which is not a positive one, I'm afraid. And, and again, it came up doing deck chair chat, we're now <laughs> calling it, which was, oh, you can get rich quick. 
Ah, and I thought, yeah. that's why I then went, okay, I'm going to have to be boring now and actually speak out. Um, but there was a piece on the BBC where people stuck at home did think, oh, I think I might try myself trading, what you call trading. And I read the account of one poor, unfortunate guy who started off with 100 euro. He said he felt super confident watching the tickers. He decided, I don't think he quite realized, he didn't realize that he was taking a position on oil right. rather than actually investing any in any stock. So what happened was... Uh, Oil prices started sliding. Um, I didn't have enough money to cover the loss, so it crashed out my position, and I got an email. It was the fastest 100 um, euro loss I'd ever spent. Yeah. So that is an example of someone thinking, oh, markets, interesting, immediately getting fingers burnt, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and this goes back to the point, really, you know, know what you're investing in. So th there are loads of different types of investments. So... Um, uh, I'm sure we'll go into the, so those a bit later, but um, if, if he's if he's betting on options, that isn't exactly the same as, um, uh, or it's, it's very different actually from investing in a company, buying a share, but owning a share of that company, essentially becoming a very sort of small part owner. Um, that is very different, and and I think yeah, again the problem is that I think Hollywood's perpetuated this myth that um, you know if you invest in the stock market, it's a it's a an instant path to, to riches. Um, when it's not, you know, it's 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 a slow burn. <laughs> it's um it's something that will take time, and if you get it right, you can be very successful. I think um, things like um, Bitcoin a few years ago, when it rocketed from nine hundred dollars to twenty thousand dollars, and in a very short space of time, give people the wrong impression that um, that actually this is investing. You know, if you get it right, you become incredibly rich. Well. That is very rare, very very rare. Um, and you know, you you can make a lot of money. Let's take um, let's take Amazon for example. So Amazon, uh, I think from memory, had a share price of under two dollars when it when it uh, um, floated on the stock market in the late nineties, and it was bobbling away at about eighty in about uh, two thousand and one, and then it sort of crashed under thirty. And you know it was only at about two hundred, two hundred and fifty dollars five years ago. Now it's at three thousand dollars, and that is. That is rare. That very, very rarely happens. Um, but, you know, if you'd sold out in 2012, you wouldn't have got any of that. So that's why, again, going back to that, you know, long term outlook, this isn't a six months, one year, two year horizon. This, you know, you should be thinking five, 10, 15, 20 uh, year horizon uh, to really, really see the benefit of your investments. I think you're right about Hollywood. It made me think about Get Rich Quick. You don't see those George Clooney movies where he just stands around the slot machines and loses loads of money. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> probably got that sort of glamorization about how to get rich quick Absolutely. is probably a problem when it comes to people considering, well, actually, you tend to get rich slow. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I, and I think, you know, and anything that can make you uh, really, really rich really quickly could probably also make you lose your money just as quickly as well. That is it. It goes back to my grandmother's if it looks too good to be true. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Everyone yeah. remember what your nana says, please. <laughs> um, now, I thought this was a, a very valid one, which is, is more than fair, really. If, you, if you're investing in company shares, I'm not sure which companies to back. And I think that's, that's you know, because people don't spend their time pouring through annual reports, etc. They don't know who's on the board, who the executives are. I, can, I completely understand that. And one thing that I think fed into that was a report I read a couple of years ago now from Credit Suisse, who said that the average um, age of companies in the uh, Standard & Poor, which is a, a US um, indice, was uh, in the 1950s was 60 years. So companies would enter the stock exchange and tend to be around for 60 years. That's now down to less than 20 years. Yeah. 
because of the technological revolution, digital disruption, um, we are now at a point where people rise very fast, as you said, with Amazon, but other companies are disappearing. Yeah. So um, one other approach perhaps you could have a, a quick think about for us is rather than just investing in companies, what about investing in, in funds? Yeah, and you know that is that's I think for me for me personally that was my first starting point. I think it's a great great starting point if you're if you're new to investing. Um, the, the 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 old adage, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. If you if you just bought Amazon shares and Amazon uh, performs very poorly, you're going to lose a lot of money. Um, if you uh, and and likewise, if you invest in ten different companies and five of them perform well, five of them don't, then hopefully that'll even out. But the good thing about um, investing in a fund is that actually that takes a lot of the burden off you as the investor. And, and I don't mean responsibility, so that you can't. Uh, if someone lo- if you lose money, it doesn't mean that it's you, know, you can blame someone else, of course. But um, what it means is that you're going to entrust your money in an individual um, uh, who will pick and uh, buy and sell stocks on your behalf. Um, and and you know that is what you're paying for. You're paying for the expertise of of, uh, of a fund manager, as they're called, uh, to go out and make the right calls on your behalf. Um, that still requires a lot of homework, a bit a bit of uh, due diligence on your part. You still got to go away and find out. You know how do you want to invest? Uh, how long do you want to invest? Where do you want to invest? And then narrow that list of fund managers and pick the the perfect two, three, four, five. However, you know not too many. Maybe maybe five is probably enough to begin with. Uh, fund managers that will help you achieve your goals then. Okay. So they go off and basically create a basket of investments and you're buying a slice of that. Yeah. So there are also passive funds. So how do they work? So, um, so what I've just described is what call, and I hate this t- this phrase, but uh, that's an active fund. So an active fund is a is a human um, stock picker essentially. Um, a passive fund is um, the best way to describe it is uh, it's controlled by computers essentially. <laughs> and you know we're not talking Robocop here, but we're talking uh, <laughs> very sophisticated computers that are, are designed to. Um, track an, ind- an indice and an indice is things like uh, you may have heard of uh, the FTSE 100 or the S&P 500 um, which are essentially FTSE 100 for argument's sake is a, is a list of the 100 most valuable companies in the UK um, so what this uh, tracker fund or passive fund uh, will d- be designed to do is as the FTSE 100 rises it'll follow it as it falls, it'll also follow it, and it'll go bob up and down and up and down uh, over time. Um, and you'll never aim to beat the market; just track it wherever it goes. It'll go up and down with it. Uh, with an active fund, what you're paying for, and these normally are a little bit more expensive than tracker funds. Um, what you're paying for is the expertise. So that manager, that manager's aim will be to beat the market. So if um, uh, if the FTSE 100 goes up two percent, then the fund manager will try to get two and a half or three. Um, and you know it always try to stay one step ahead, and and vice versa. You know, if the FTSE 100 falls five percent, the fund manager will try and you know not lose money, or at least not lose as much money as the FTSE 100 has, has lost. So, okay. um, so that's that's the key. The two major type of funds, really. So this is another way of a not investing particularly very much money. You can invest in a fund relatively cheaply. Yeah, and. Uh, save yourself from watching the screens daily because it's like well that, that fund is off to do its fund things that manager is doing the job yeah. or the the tracker is just tracking the FTSE for example so in that way it's kind of like you can just set that money aside and hope that it does its thing yeah um so yeah in in a sense um i'd say 
it is good to so check what you're invested. So um, by all means, pick pick a set of fund managers you like, um, put your money in, and you know, and then every now and again revisit it. So mm. uh, look every maybe maybe six months or one, once or twice a year probably. And you know, if a fund manager is underperforming, ask yourself why. Then uh, go to their website. They'll normally have uh, a, a note on how they performed over the last sort of three, six, uh, twelve months. And you know, if if what they say doesn't sound convincing, maybe look at moving your money somewhere else. But um, yeah, but don't don't reshuffle off them. But definitely, every now and again, revisit it and make sure that actually it is doing what it promised it said it would do. You raise an interesting point there because I know that EQI have a facility where basically they there are there are companies who just look at how fund managers are doing. It's not yeah. as if they're in the dark doing it. They are being watched continually yeah. as well. <laughs> so you now can have access to that information. So you can look at what's being recommended or picked out as uh, meeting the aims that it's set out to do. So you can, I guess, as you're right, it's not that you're ignoring it and forgetting it. It's probably not a good idea. But in the sense that you can make that decision for yourself, invest in a fund, which is going to be a whole basket, whole range, so you don't have to have the, the pressure of just investing in one company. But then you've also got other free-to-use resources who track how the fund manager's doing, or track how the fund is doing, and will give it a rating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, they're a really good starting point. Some, um, yeah, some people maybe don't... Uh, hold a great deal of stock in those lists. But I mean, for me personally, that's where I'd start. You know, it for a start, um, it narrows the list of funds down from about 3,000 to maybe 50 in this case. Um, and and you can pick and choose what you want. Do you want to invest in, in US stocks or do you want to invest in European stocks? And, you know, it's a very nice and very quick way of narrowing down exactly what you'd like and getting a recommendation on something that has performed or... Uh, could potentially perform well in the future. Um, I would say um, do your own research as well. So use that as uh, don't use that as advice because it's certainly not mm. advice. Um, but more as a as a as a little tip of where to look. You know to, to find out a little bit more information about what you might want to invest in. Because you've hit on something really important there, which is the, the the products like EQI are fantastic in that it literally gives you access to the whole world puts you on the level playing field, really, with people who work in the in the square mile. The other side of that is you've got access to the whole world. Sometimes it's so overwhelming, <laughs> the amount of information, you can kind of think, I'm not really sure where to start, which is why I understand that people go, I don't really know where to start when it comes to investing. So you mentioned before, how did you start? What was your very first investment back in the day? Oh, my oh God, that's a question. Um, my very first investment, I think... It's a very, very boring one, but I think it was a, a Vanguard tracker. Okay. Uh, so Vanguard, um, so so again, one of those um, funds that are controlled by computers and not by a human. And uh, I did that because I'm an absolute skin flint <laughs> and uh, it was very cheap. And uh, I did <laughs> after after doing a bit of research, I thought, well, this is fantastic. It's almost like a little portfolio in a box. Um, over time, that's changed. You know, I've, I have uh, gone away and done, uh, you know, a lot more research. Uh, I probably have maybe anything between sort of 10 to 15 investments in, in, in my uh, SIP and ISA now. And, you know, there there are some weird and wonderful things in there and, and some some uh, more bog standard stuff in there, shall we say. So um, start, start off small, start off with a couple of funds, see what you like, stick with it and and then see how you go from there. You know, the, there's no there's no way you're going to get the perfect uh, portfolio straight away. So, you know, this is um, this is something that you build upon over time. 
you get more comfortable with it. Uh, you'd be surprised how quickly your, your knowledge base grows and, and how your confidence grows as well, actually. And before you know it, you'll be uh, on this podcast instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> now, you did touch upon something very important there. You mentioned two, two products. You mentioned a SIP and an ISA. And I think that's the other important thing to talk about with investment is the tax-free wrapper. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, for uh, an ISA is essentially, like you said, is um, uh, a wrapper or something where you contain your investments. Um, uh, it doesn't isn't action anything. It's just a, a tax-free perk, essentially. So um, if you open an ISA and you buy stocks and shares within that ISA, which you can do quite easily um, on, on a lot of platforms, um, it just means that the tax man can't come away and, and take any profits you make, uh, which is very different to how the situation was maybe 20 or 30 years ago when you'd have to pay all sorts of taxes, uh, you know, just because you made a little bit of money. So, so it's, it's a really, really good place to start. And I'd recommend if you're doing it for the first time, then look at an ISA um, and, you know, look at the charges as well. That's another thing to be mindful of. Uh, it's not just... Um, it's not just the I, there is a, f a fee for the ISA, but there's also a fee for the funds as well. Top those up, um, and you know if if it looks a little bit expensive, then you know try and find ways of getting it cheaper. Or if you think actually that that price is worth paying because these funds, you know, you you pick some fantastic funds, they're going to make you a lot of money over over the over the uh, long term, then absolutely fine. But just be mindful of the costs involved. Okay. And a SIP is another way of protecting your investments as well. It's yeah, so a SIP is is um, personal pension essentially. Most people in the in the country uh, um, uh, four or five years ago were in auto, what's called automatically enrolled into a pension scheme. So you had to opt out. So uh, um, if you earned a certain amount of money, so um, uh, yeah, you should if if you work in um, of a company of a certain size and earn a certain amount of money you will automatically be put into a pension scheme and that money will be taken out of your uh, wages every month before you even see it, before you've got a chance to spend it in the pub, um, and it will go into your pension. Um, a SIP is something that you, normally a lot of uh, self-employed um, people tend to use them, um, but also it's a nice way of maybe collecting up all of those little pensions, if you move jobs a lot, all of those little pensions into one place, which is basically what I did a few right. years ago. So, um, yeah, the, uh, it's something slightly different. Um, but if you're just looking to uh, invest through an ISA, or if, if you're just looking to invest, uh, you know, not you'll have to pick your investments for a pension. Uh, if you're just looking out there to go and invest, I'd say start with an ISA. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're hugely popular. Very, yeah, very. Yeah. So uh, do, do look at an ISA because they have massive advantages. Um, so you should sell when the markets are in trouble. Yeah. What do you think of that? Uh, no, I personally, I think that's you very... You launched then. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, I think, okay, so there are two ways of looking at this. I'd say 99% uh, of the time, it's a bad idea. If you if you believe in a company, if you believe in your investments, and it's a bad patch, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. So... Um, uh, I invested in a company called Carnival, a cruise operator. And uh, when the coronavirus uh, crisis hit, obviously they couldn't take passengers anywhere. And you know they, they essentially had these lovely, big, shiny boats moored in docks, and they weren't making any money. So obviously the share price uh, um, tanked. Um, then 
when when uh, you started to see headlines where maybe you know holiday destinations reopening, maybe a few boats would leave those docks, then the share price started to climb, and and actually it did climb, you know, quite quite quickly, uh, and and you know I made some of my money back, but um, the point being that if I had sold out at the bottom, I would have lost a lot of money, and now I am probably in a position where. I'm I'm no I, I'm not up or down on that investment okay. to be honest with you. It's it's there. It's roughly where it was for you know, a few months back. Um, but the idea, but I if I'd have panicked and sold out, then I would have been down. However much I would have been down. So mm. I think it's very very. Um, ask yourself if if there's no way of this company ever recovering because it's um, I don't know it's defaulted on its debts or it looks like it's about to go into administration then that's a different story but if it's just hit a bit of a bad patch you know we all like uh, all of us human beings go through bad patches and companies are no different so uh you know uh, give it a chance and if you believe in it then stick with it i'd okay. say okay now just come back to you were right to pick me up about don't just put your investments aside and forget about them you're right you do need to have an active engagement the reason i'm saying that is um there will be, because of the change that uh, Credit Suisse pointed out, about 20 years is the uh, the average now for a company yeah. to be in the S&P 500. You do need to be kind of switched on as to what's going on around you. And there will be times when you decide to to sell. Don't sell necessarily when the market's at the bottom. That's always going to be a risk. But there will be times when you decide to take your money out of a company. Um I probably caught your eye, caught everyone's eye. Warren Buffett, a few months ago, who decided yep. to sell all airline stock. Yep, yep. I mean, that is a big step. Now, to quote him, he says, if we like a business, we're going to buy as much of it as we can, and we keep it as long as we can. But what we don't do is trim positions. We sell it. He sold the hot entire stake. So that's obviously him making a call on airlines over the long term. Yeah. So I guess, again, if you're, if you're that switched on, you know, whether it was the guy who noticed the people carrying Nike bags, being aware of stuff and sort of thinking ahead and thinking what is going to happen to this sector or industry, that is important, isn't it? So like bringing your smarts to what you're doing with your portfolio. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, uh, it is, it's keeping up with news, but it's not, it, I mean, you don't have to sit there and, and like you said, uh, scour through uh, investment reports, which obviously sound like they're written in Martian half the time anyway. So, um, uh, you know, you don't have to do that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, if, if if you invest in a company, if you decide to to invest in in a particular company as opposed to a fund, then yeah, obviously uh, keep up keep up to date with what it's doing. Uh, keep an eye out uh, if you want to its results. Um, but certainly the headlines about it are they are they largely negative? Are they positive? Are they indifferent? You know these sorts of things are are things that influence markets. Um, Boohoo is a classic example. The other day. Uh, Boohoo at one point looked like it was a company that could do no wrong. You know, yeah. uh, the share price um, grew incredibly quickly. Uh, it looked like a very, very successful business. And then the Sunday Times came along and kind of popped that balloon by um, uh, showing that actually maybe some of its working practices were a bit questionable. So um, that, that's, a, that's a prime example there of how something, you know, how how the way a company is perceived can damage its uh, share price. And these are the sort of things that you, you might want to, uh, that you do definitely want to sort of stay attuned to. Mm. In fact, I, th I think now that more and more, uh, when you do look at funds there on EQI, for example, at the moment, they do have ESG ratings. Yeah. And that seems to be something that uh, more analysts are interested in because they can recognize that it can, well, the reputation of a company really matters. So that's if you're creating 
a negative impact either what is it environmentally socially so that's to do with working practices um, and governance good governance those things really matter now to shareholder value don't they it's like yeah yeah absolutely i think this this um this uh, concept of esg or environmental social and governance um it's really only been a thing in the last five years but i mean it's incredibly important you know, nobody really wants to back a company that is doing some pretty nasty things in society you know we want to back good companies that are doing good things and make people feel better make them uh, prosperous or, or just do general good for, for, for the wider society, the country, the world even. Um, and I think, yeah, and, and the problem is a lot of people over the years think that if you're a good company, you're not, you can't be a profitable company, which uh, studies have shown, uh, countless studies have shown actually over the last few years, that's just not true. You know, you can be a good company doing nice things, doing good things, and you can be very profitable at the same time. Uh, and in fact, I think the tide is turning here where actually companies who um, really don't pay much attention to the environment, there will come a point, and I think we're, we're getting very close to that now, where people will just say, well, we are, we're, we're boycotting you. We are not going to buy your goods. We're not going to invest in you and, you know, see how you like mm. that. And, uh, and I think we are, we are slowly getting to that, uh, that point. And with clothing companies that, you know, it, it comes back to that get-rich-quick problem. If companies are going to start cutting corners exploiting labor etc yeah there will come a point where consumers go no and then so it, again getting rich slowly as an ethical yeah. company <laughs> it's probably going to be better for them as well as better for you know whether it's the environment or people because investors are probably going to be more attracted to backing them absolutely okay. absolutely so rather than sell when markets are in trouble maybe sell when companies are in trouble might be yeah. <laughs> a different way of looking at that um, and here's a, here's a quite now funny enough because you did talk about active fund managers um, a little bit earlier. Do the professionals always beat the markets? No. Uh, ah. Yeah, that's another thing. So um, yeah, obviously these these people get paid a lot of money to um, uh, to pick investments on your behalf. Do they always beat the market? No. Uh, in fact, um, I, 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 there is a lot of research out there that says on average, I think about eight out of ten fund managers don't actually beat the market. And there's a reason for that. Um, if you think uh, the US stock market, the S&P 500 is probably the most researched market in the entire world. And as an investor, you're looking for the slightest bit of advantage or, or a, an undiscovered gem, a company that no one else has ever heard of that you're one of the sole backers for and they become incredibly successful. The thing is, uh, everyone's looking for the same companies, and it is different. I mean, that's not to say that you shouldn't invest because it's you know uh, it's it's a complete waste of time. You're not going to make any money. That's not true either. You know, um, essentially, what they're trying to do is to make the most amount of profit. These are professional fund managers, and and in the process, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the time they don't. Um, you can make money on the stock market. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. If you if you play it sensibly, if it's over a long enough time frame. Um, and, you know, actually, you may not even want to beat the market. Like we said earlier on, you may want to invest in a tracker and you're very happy to go wherever the S&P 500 goes or wherever the FTSE 100 goes. It really sort of depends on what your what your goals are, really. That's interesting. I read a piece in Money Week who um, not only did they say there's a bit of mythology around managers. No, they don't usually beat the market. It is hard to do. It is. Um, it is. But they also said the one place that he would start was is look at your costs because you can't yeah. control the markets, but you can control your costs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's um, uh, that, uh, to give you an analogy, maybe you buy a new car, but actually you bought you bought a new car. It's quite cheap 
but it's really because uh, you know maybe your costs are a bit tight at the moment uh, so you think you're buying a nice budget car they'll be cheap to run but unfortunately it's a bit of a gas guzzler so over the long run really that car's cost you a lot more money than you thought it would be and it's a little bit like your investments uh, if you keep the cost low um, and uh, if, if you have two identical funds alongside each other and one's uh, twice the price of the other one, then over 25 years, the cheaper one will get, you'll have a lot more money in it. And it's, it's just, it's a fact of investing. So it is very important to keep on top of those costs. Um, and yeah, research the market. Look, look, look um, if, if you're looking to, for argument's sake, look, uh, invest in UK funds, uh, UK shares, because you know, you, you like your whole market, you know the companies, um, and that's what you would invest in. Have a look and see how much these funds charge. You know, what is the most you've seen out there? Uh, and what's the least? Mm -hmm. And what's the difference between these two? How have they performed? You know, can you justify that higher price? Or uh, or actually, you, you're much better off just sticking with a lot of cheap funds that perform pretty well. Okay. Because a little bit, come, like, come back to our inflation point. It might look yeah. like a few percentage points. It might look small, the numbers. But over time, it really does eat into the value of your fund. Definitely, yeah. If you look at it on a on a year um, um, a one year basis, it's not going to look like it's it's done much of a done much damage to your portfolio. But if you look at it over thirty years, uh, the cumulative effect of those charges being taken out of your fund means that you know you've probably lost a lot more money than you thought you would. Um, All right. Yeah. So even though those active fund managers can't control the market, but yeah, that's we can control the cost. So that's something Definitely. to bear in mind. Very that is good. absolutely within our power, yeah. So we've looked at, that's seven myths. I suppose that if I was going to say, what's the one thing I could let people, share with people, plead with people to think about? I guess for me, it would be, it's not that investing is not for me. You hear that, I think, too often. When in reality, most people now have a pension and that's an investment product. You know, so I think if I was going to say anything to, uh, to people, it would be, don't discount it because when it comes to planning what you want from the future, it is worth considering. Yeah, absolutely. Just if you're um, if you're unsure about whether or not you want to invest, ask yourself why. Mm. Um, is it uh, that you are worried about making losses? You don't know where to start. Um, you know the language seems impenetrable. You know what, what is it exactly? Um, and and. Ask yourself why. So if, if, if you're worried that the market's going to go up and down, then, okay, ask yourself uh, what sort of time horizon are you looking at? Are you looking over a 30-year time horizon? Uh, go and research it. You know, how likely are you to lose money over 30 years? Go go and do the homework, read up about it, and then make your choice. Um, like I said, investing may not be for everybody. If you're really, really that scared about losing money and you would just um, like uh, uh, to put your money in a, a cash ISA, which is you know not an investment ISA, it's just a standard, um, uh, a standard sort of savings account, um, then fine, that's absolutely fine. But you've got to be then willing to accept lower returns. You will not make as much money, chances are anyway, uh, as you would by investing for the long term in the stock market. Um, and if that doesn't sit easy with you, Go out and read about it, you know, learn about it. You know, you may actually find it a little bit fun. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Absolutely. Um, so I, I think that's the important thing. I mean, people are used to now spending time researching everything because we do. We, we don't go anywhere. We won't go to a restaurant without reading every review we can. We don't, won't watch anything on Netflix until we've read all those reviews. It's that we are quite good at researching now. We are quite good at backing our own opinion based on what's happening. So I think that is another important thing about investment. As you said, if you've got those worries, look into it, look into the reason why you're worried, then make a decision about whether investment is right for you. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you wouldn't buy a washing machine without looking on which first. Uh, you wouldn't decide to go on holiday without looking at the brochures or, or looking online or, or looking at reviews of the hotels. Um, same with the car, same with the house. You know, the, how many people actually buy a house without viewing it first and, and finding out everything about the area, you know, who the builder is, what's their record like, what's their customer service, that sort of thing. It, it's... And it's just uh, there's no there's no there's no need to rush into this. There's you know this is a big decision. Obviously, it's a really big decision. You know, people people are worried about uh, investing, and um, and I can and I can understand why. Uh, it does seem like you know uh, maybe the industry has painted it as for uh, a, 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 um, a select group of people, whereas actually you know it, it should be a lot more sort of open and free than that. But um, yeah, no, absolutely, go away, research it, and if you're still thinking, actually, I have no idea what to do seek some advice go and talk to somebody uh, who does know what they're doing let them put their mind to rest you know you may walk away and think actually that it's not for me and that's totally fine you know it, we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't sort of build up this image that you know you're not very smart or clever if you don't invest it may not be for you but i think for a lot of people they do want to maximize the amount of money they can make from their savings they want to make them work harder um, and the only way uh, to do that at the moment from, you know, over the course of the last hundred years has proven to be the stock market. So, um, uh, yeah, definitely go away, research it, get comfortable with it, ask for advice. And, um, and you know, I'm sure, you know, it would, uh, yeah. Just read, honestly. Read, yeah, that makes yeah. the big difference. It's I mean, I, I actually did see a stat from an insurer who uh, pointed out that people spend more time researching a holiday or decorating a spare room than they do planning their pension yeah so there's a definite block there for people but i think just get involved it's your future it's yeah. don't think of it as separate from your life it is your life it's going to be central to what you want to do Absolutely. so get involved Absolutely. i mean look at you you've got awards now <laughs> you don't know there's you don't know they're real though uh, no. no i read i researched <laughs> i promise this is all true thank you so much for your time today no thank you very much and for i hope you'll me come on. back and join us i will absolutely Thanks absolutely Paul. thank you expressed in the smart money are personal opinions and not advice or recommendations from EQI. The value of investments can fall as well as rise. Any income from this is not guaranteed and you may get back less than you invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. EQI is a trading name of Equinity Financial Services Limited. Equinity Financial Services Limited does not provide financial advice. If you are in any doubt as to the risk or suitability of an investment or product, you should seek advice from an independent financial advisor.